Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and how to get involved, or simply want to give a gift, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net today. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about being kingdom stewards. We've talked about what the meaning of being a kingdom steward is. And, and if you still can't define that, I encourage you to go back to the previous messages. The first message in the series was all about what's the meaning of being a kingdom steward. And then right after that, I laid out the case for being kingdom steward mindset. What, what's our mindset? Talked about the Holy Spirit being our prescription glasses and helping us to see the spiritual world, to see as God sees and how that prescription is specific to each one of us. But it's the Holy Spirit that, that provides that vision for us. And, and so it helps with our mindset, how we look at things, how we view the world that's around us. And today I want to talk to you about the motivation of a kingdom steward. What, what's your motivation in serving the Lord? What is your motivation? You know, Christmas has just come and gone. And I don't know about you, but when my kids were growing up, they got a lot nicer and a lot more helpful as Christmas time approached. <laughs> Something about knowing that we we're going to be buying presents. And they wanted to do what they could to help us make great decisions for them on the presents that they wanted. And it's funny because even to this day, uh, I have a 25-year-old, 23-year-old, and a 19-year-old. And we ask them each year, please send us a list of the things you're interested in so we can choose from it. In fact, with technology, it's so great because you can just put together a wish list and you can click on the link and you'll know exactly what color they want, what size they want. Uh, you can get exactly what they want. I love the technology for that right there. But my two oldest don't, don't really send us a whole lot. But Levi, oh, yeah. I think he's still sending me stuff. I keep trying to remind him Christmas is over, son. He don't mind sending me that list. You know, what's the motivation? Why? Why, why are the kids behaving that way? There's nothing wrong with them behaving in a good manner and helping out. I don't mind taking advantage of that. I don't mind allowing them to do a few extra chores around the house. I don't mind that nice attitude and that thankfulness that's in their heart. I ride that as long as I can because guess what? January is right around the corner. And somehow they're going to snap back and remember, okay, that's done. Move on with what I was doing. So, so we both kind of go with our motivation being towards what we can get out of it. Well, you know, that's kind of the way we do God. What can I get out of you, God? I will serve you. I will obey you. I will do what you're asking me to do, Lord God, as long as. If you fill in the blank. What's our motivation? We want the gift, but not the giver. I like how Tony Evans said it. He said, we're living in a day when people want God's blessings without God. They want the benefits without the being. They want the rewards without the relationship. That is one of the most important words in all of Christianity is relationship. You see, there are many people that know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. There are many people that know God, but they don't know God. There are many people that know of the Holy Spirit, but not all of them know the Holy Spirit. 
Exodus tells us about Moses' motivation. Let's look in the 33rd chapter here. I'm just going to read the first three verses to you. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. A lot of ites in there. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Well, you know, that's very interesting because that whole set of scriptures starts out really awesome. And then it ends with a bang. I mean, it sounds really good. Hey, listen, I got this promised land. I've promised it to you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to drive everybody out of there that stands against you. But I'm not going with you. Because if I go with you, I'm liable to kill you. I'm liable to consume you because you are a stiff-necked people. There is so much in that right there alone that tells you the God that we serve. And I'm not talking about the consume you and the stiff-necked people part. The fact that he's irritated with them and yet he still is going to deliver them to the promised land. You see, that's the way God loves us. God still wants the best for you even when you aren't behaving properly. Even when you are being a stiff-necked people, God still will deliver, deliver you to your promised land. But you see, Moses understood a principle that was so much better than the promised land. So much better. Because he understood this idea of rewards without relationship. And Moses wasn't interested in the rewards without the relationship. He wasn't interested in presence without the presence of God. In chapter 33, a little further down in the 12th verse, says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. So he's already been told they're going to get to the promised land, and he's saying, no, 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 no. You're saying you know me. You're saying that I've found grace. Lord, show me that. Lord, I want to see more of you. I want your presence. You know what God saw? He saw Moses' motivation. In the very next verse, it says, And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Wait a minute. A few verses ago, he said, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. And then he says down here after Moses tells him, Lord, I don't want anything without you. I don't want it without you, Lord God. It's not worth anything without you. And God says, then I'll go with you. See, God's looking for our motivation. If we're going to be kingdom stewards and we're going to look after God's stuff, and what do we say his most important asset is? People. People are his most prized possession. That's his greatest treasure. If we're going to help look out after his people, if we're going to be making disciples, if we're going to be what, call, what God's called us to be, then we have to do it with the right motivation. You see, we can do things with the right heart or with the wrong heart. But if our heart's not in the right place, 
All we got is stuff. All we got is stuff. And we can't take that stuff with us when we leave here. What's your motivation? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you work the job that you work? Why do you go to the school that you go to? Now, if you're in high school and below, some of you go to school because you have to, because you're forced to, because your parents tell you to. But could you imagine if your motivation changed and you didn't go just because you were forced to go? Oh, adults, how about the job you're in? Some of you are going because you've got to make money so that you can provide for the family, but you don't really like that job. What if your motivation changed? What if you began to be a kingdom steward and you began to look out after the people and your motivation was towards God and you said, God, use me however you want to use me. If this is the job I'm supposed to be in, then Lord God, show me what I'm supposed to do. You you want to talk about everything in your life changing for the better. Change your motivation. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you serve God? You know, I served God for a long time because I didn't want to go to hell. While that may be a good motivation, it is not the right motivation. You see, salvation is not the last step. Salvation is just the beginning point. Discipleship is where we're headed after salvation. And you know what happens if you only do things for somebody else because of what you're getting in return? What happens when they disappoint you or they don't do things the way you wanted them to do? Those relationships have a tendency to go away. They have a tendency to fade. I was thinking about this the other day. I married the total package. I married a beautiful woman who's smart, but one that loves God with her whole heart. And do you know of all the things that she possesses, that relationship with God is the most important to me. Because you see the material things, the clothes, the looks, everything, that's going to fade If you base a relationship just on money, guess what? It's not going to be a lasting relationship. But if you build a relationship, especially as Christians on the Father, if your motivation for the things that you do is centered around Jesus, then you are going to have that more abundant life that God talked about. You see, we've been duped. Our world continues to tell us that the material stuff is what we should be going after. It continues to pump out messages through advertisements, through movies, through games, through songs, through everything. It bullies in in unspeakable ways that if you don't have these things, there must be something wrong with you. That's why I was so kind of talking too much about the suit and the tie because, you know, the reason I didn't wear suits for a long time is I didn't want to send the wrong message because it's not about this suit for me. It's not about the money. It's about the people. But when God speaks to you, you got to listen. And so he's been challenging me to dress a little better because I had gone the other way. I was trying so hard not to put up walls for people that I began to get lazy with the way I was dressing. And we do need to have a spirit of excellence. Our motivation doesn't mean that at the house I don't dress in some jogging pants or track suits or shorts or whatever the case may be. In the summertime when it's warmer, I'm going to be in shorts, but they're going to be the dress shorts, okay? I don't know about this jacket when it gets a little hot in here. I may or may not have this jacket on. Amen? But the point is the motivation has to be for God. You see, God started challenging me on what I was wearing and how I was dressing. 
He didn't tell me to challenge you. He didn't tell me to stand up here and say, you should be wearing this, this, and this, because it doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with my relationship with the Lord. That's why those prescription glasses from the Holy Spirit are so important, because my prescription is not your prescription. You see, the people I minister to aren't necessarily going to be the same people you minister to. In fact, if we're operating in the church, it's not going to be the same, because it takes all of us. It takes your personality, amen, amen. It takes your personality, your experiences, your walk with the Lord to minister to your community. So God may not be calling you to dress up in suits, and guess what? That doesn't bother me at all. It's fine. That's not my motivation. That's my point. What is your motivation? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? The most important motivation should be because we want to please the Father, not so that we can get something. That's why it's so important in kingdom stewardship to realize whose stuff it really is. When we begin to understand that none of the stuff that we have is ours, but it's been put in our charge. And then you think about who put us in charge of it. You know, kids don't always understand what that means. They don't always understand when you've put them in charge of something and you're trying to train them, and that's why they mess up and they break stuff. But as we continue to train them, hopefully, they begin to learn. There are things that I trust my adult children with that I never would have trusted them with as young kids. They just weren't ready for that. And do you know that as they've grown up and gotten older, their heart and motivation has grown, and now they do things for me and Tammy because they love us, not because they're getting anything for it. Now, that's taking a long time, but they're getting it. You know what's interesting about that? We still gave them stuff, and we still rewarded them for doing things because we had to train them. Our Father's the same way. He is going to bless you. He still was going to give the promised land to the children of Israel, to Moses. But he's looking for us to get to the point where we are motivated properly. Where we hear the voice of the Lord and we say, yes, sir. That's the songs we sang this morning, right? If you tell me to do it, Lord, I'll do it. Not I will question it for a year and a half. And if it fits with my schedule and it doesn't make me uncomfortable, then I'll do it. I'll tell you, I got blessed with this tie. There's a suit that goes with it, but it's being altered right now. And while you may be sitting there thinking, man, that's awesome, somebody blessed you with a suit, and I am grateful for that, the process was very awkward and unnerving. Not with the individual that bought it, but all the people wanting to measure me and stand up on the box and him and pin, and it got hot in that building, and I didn't bring my sweat rag with me. I went through something, y'all, to get that blessing. (laughs) I went through something. It's not always comfortable, but you know what? Because I wasn't obedient to the individual. I was obedient to the Lord, and the Lord has taught me that I better let people bless me. Not just because I get blessed out of it, but because it blesses them. Because God's trying to tell them something. God's trying to grow them and mature them, and they had to act in obedience to do it. And so we do need to receive those blessings, but it wasn't easy for me. 
And then you walk into the store, and they got these two really slim fit. They were older gentlemen, too. They weren't, they weren't young people, so it made me feel even worse, just to be honest with you, because they were really looking good in the suits they had on. I mean, they were decked out. It was awesome. It was amazing. And I just sat there and stared for a minute. I mean, that's awesome. You know, I got to talking to one of those gentlemen. And the short version is, at some point, he told me the best part of his life is when he gave his life to the Lord. Amen. He got to talk about all the cool things he'd gotten to do, some of the celebrities he'd met, some of the award shows, different things he'd gotten to go to. He was dressed awesome. You can tell he just likes dressing in the nice clothes. But yet all he really wanted to talk to me about, more so than even sell me a suit, was about Jesus. I thought, man, that is awesome. And so you know what? In that environment, he's reaching more people with the way he's dressing, the way he's talking, what he's doing. But that's why it's so important that we understand our motivation and that we're serving the Lord because you know what? We can go places and we can begin to get convicted without anybody saying anything. Pastor Gary took me to a Korean church. When was that? Was that early December? Maybe November? I don't, I don't even remember now. I put it out of my head a little bit. And I had on my dress pants, my dress shoes. I had on a nice collared shirt. It wasn't buttoned at the top, but I didn't have a jacket. I didn't have a tie. I was dressed fine. I walked in there, and I was probably the worst dressed person in that place. And I thought, whew, I may have to leave, Gary. I don't, I don't know that I want to stay here. But, you know, it wasn't because anybody said anything to me. They accepted me. They loved me. They didn't give me any kind of looks. They didn't give me any kind of uh, talks. None of that stuff. I did that to myself, right? So if I'd have dressed up right then in that moment, my motivation wouldn't have been correct. I'd have been trying to please man. What I'm trying to show you is the difference here of why we do things. I don't want you to do things because you're pleasing man. I want you to do things because you're pleasing the Father. Sometimes pleasing the Father is very awkward for us and uncomfortable, but we receive blessings and we bless others when we are obedient to that. What's our motivation? Moses' motivation was presence with the Father. So in verse 14, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses wants to double check and make sure. So in verse 15, he says, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Now in verse 14, God said, my presence will go with you. And, and Moses said, let me clarify, Lord. I just want to make sure we're on the same page because if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going. And i got to imagine God's up in heaven going, I know. I heard you. I've already told you I'm going. Get off my back. I don't think he said that. But. but that just tells you how important and how much Moses understood that without God, it wasn't worth going. Verse 16 says, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So, shall we be, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And in verse 17 it says, So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. You know what sticks out to me so much about that? God didn't say, all right, that's it, I'm done, I'm annoyed with you, forget it. 
He still answered Moses. That's the God we serve. When Gideon throws out the fleece and tells God, hey, if you make it rain everywhere but the fleece, then I'll trust that the word you gave me is accurate, and I'll do what you told me to do. And it rains everywhere but the fleece. And Gideon says, well, let me just double check, Lord. All right, I know what I said, but let me, this time, Lord, let's do the opposite. Just rain on the fleece, just wet on the fleece, and nowhere else. And what does God do? It's wet on the fleece and nowhere else. Why? Because if our motivation is to God, even in the times of doubt, he will still be there for us. Even in the times we're not sure, he will still help us. That's the God we serve. If you begin to pour into that and understand that, then it becomes easier to do things because you love the Lord. I've told you before, there are many things that I did for Tammy as we were dating and as we were courting that I still don't know why or how I did that except for the fact I was in love. Oh, I was in love. I still am in love. I'm sorry. I still am in love. <laughs> I'm in love with you. Now, it's a little harder to talk me into doing stuff than it used to be. But you know, the interesting part about that is that shows also what happens to us as Christians. Some of you have pursued God with the right motivation for a number of years. But then what happens? Complacency sets in. And you start going through the motions, and now you're not doing things with the same motivation. So guess what? It doesn't matter how long you've been following the Lord. You've got to have that checks and balances at every step. You've got to be motivated to serve the Lord because you love him and not for any other reason. And not for any other reason. Let me give you another quote by Tony Evans here that I didn't put in here. He was really good, too. I enjoyed it. I will encourage you to go and read that book. It's called Kingdom Stewardship. And what the Lord has me doing is going through there reading, and I take some notes from it, and then I pray about it and, you know, and, and deliver it the way the Lord instructs me. But, but it's about the Lord. It's about a relationship with him. You know, we are about to enter into a time of fasting. And if we're not pursuing the blesser, then we're about to waste our time. And I got to tell you, this may come as a shock to some of you, but I am looking forward to this fast. Now, if you were here with us in October, and I confessed to you that we were going to a fast, and I was not looking forward to that fast. You see, I had developed an attitude of rebellion, not even meaning to, but I knew going without food was difficult for me. And I wasn't willing to face some of the physical pains that go along with that. And yet God had continued to send me messages. And I knew, I knew he had told me to fast. I knew he had told me to call the church to a fast. And I just refused to do it. And I had to stand up here and repent and tell you guys basically what had happened. And it came because God sent another word. And he sent it through one of our elders who didn't know I'd been battling all this. Who didn't know I'd been rejecting what the Lord had been telling me. Because I hadn't rejected the Lord in anything else he's told us. The first month that I was pastor, I didn't preach a single message. <laughs> Why? Because I trusted the Lord. Because I knew what he had told me. But yet when he told me to fast, I rejected it. My motivation was not good there. It was all about how I was going to feel and not about what God could do. But this elder gave me the word in front of all the other elders about fasting. <laughs> And all the other elders said, yes, yes. So it's a little hard to get away from that when all the elders are on board. 
And then I confessed to them what I'd been going through, what had happened. So I called the fast, and that fast was not easy. I had people reporting to me that fast on a regular basis telling me that that fast was hard for them as well. But something happened during that time. God broke something in me that needed to be broken. God reminded me the benefits of fasting. God reminded me of what happens when I do things the way he wants me to do it. So then I got excited, and I'm thinking, Lord, we're going to fast again. And I'm getting ready to call a fast, and the Lord said, I didn't call you to fast yet. <laughs> yes, sir, let me, let, me, let me pump the brakes. Now, I'm talking about as a church. I'm talking about as a church. So as I'm praying about the month of January, and the Lord speaks very clearly, we're going to fast. And I got excited because I know what fasting can do. I was reminded of that. Sometimes God is asking us to do things that are uncomfortable because he needs to break something inside of us that is holding us back. He needs to show us something. If we are truly motivated to be as close to God as we can be, then we have to hear his voice and trust that what he's telling us is true. The other thing I did that first year because I know I heard the Lord was we quit passing the offering plates. And that was a major change for this entire church and the elder board. Now, I knew that I heard the Lord before we started that. But when you start looking people in the eyes and they're getting uncomfortable and you can feel it, I started to question, Lord, did I really hear you on that? I'm not sure anymore. And so, you know, that first year, the Lord really proved himself. And we took in more in donations that year than we had the previous two or three years. Now, we set up a budget. Based off of what we hear the Lord telling us, what we're trying to do, we do the best job we can with that. We submit it to prayer. And this year, we're going to come up short of the budget. You know, if we'd had this year, year one, I don't think the elders would have been happy with me. They would have probably pushed me to pass those offering plates again. But we would not have been doing what the Lord wanted us to do. Why? Because there's a level of trust that God's trying to get from us. And did you hear what I said? We pass an offering plate so much. By the way, let me say, passing an offering plate is not bad or wrong. God didn't say that was wrong. But we had gotten into a rut. We had gotten stagnant. We were going through the motions. And God's saying, I want you to be purposeful about your giving. I want you to be purposeful about what you're doing. And so now guess what? You can't give unless you're being purposeful. I remind you, like when we greet people about it, but you have to give. And you don't have to feel guilty because a plate's coming in front of you and somebody's standing beside you and you feel like you better do something they're doing. Or you got to dress up just because other people are dressing up. Why? Because that's not the motivation God's looking for. He says to be a cheerful giver. When you can give cheerfully that's when you'll know your motivation is in the right place when you can give and not write it down and expect God to give back to you as being your main motivation for giving because guess what he said give and it'll be given back to you right he's going to give back to you why are you giving though is it just to get back again we talk about this all the time God is not in need of our finances but the local churches are. And God's given you a place where he's planted you. And he has said, what I want you to do is I want you to support that local assembly. And I, I've told you, I believe that's where the tithe comes from. But guess what? 
we got to go beyond the tithe. See, God's wanting us to get to that offering section. But he set that tithe apart because he said to bring it to the storehouse, and the storehouse is where you are getting fed. And if you're getting fed here at Southside Christian Fellowship, then God expects you to give your tithes to Southside Christian Fellowship. Now, by show of hands, how many of you have had a meeting with me where I called it or came to your house or called you on the phone and told you you haven't given your 10%? You have not. You put your hand down. Man. Leave it to your... That's my earthly father, right? That's all right. Last week, we played the song, Go Tell on the Mountain. He leaned over. He said, that's not a Christmas song. Man, just likes to mess with me, pick on me. (laughs) I told you that part to say, I'm not coming looking for you. It's between you and God. My job is to teach you, to educate you, to tell you what the Bible says. It's your job to get that relationship with the Lord. So again, what's your motivation? Are you now going to give because Pastor Herman told you to give? That's still not the right motivation. Motivation. What drives you? Because guess what God's showing me? It's not your money anyway. It's not my money anyway. He's given us something to hold on to. He expects us to use those resources wisely. And as we saw in the parable of the talents, he's expecting us to do something with it and not just bury it in the sand. Well, how do you know what to do with it? You better have that relationship with the Lord. Why would I get that relationship with the Lord? Just spend time with him. But I don't hear him speaking. Keep spending time with him. Just keep spending time with him. Just keep spending time with him. I didn't know everything about Tammy. Probably still don't. We've been married 28 years. Every once in a while I look over and I go, I didn't know you did that. She told the kids something the other day. I said, really? You'd think in 28 years I would know everything there is to know. And it's not because she was lying or holding it back from me. It just hadn't come up. That's what I'm saying. Through that relationship. She knows when something's bothering me, even if I tell her straight up, no, it's not. I'm good. She knows my mannerisms. She knows my voice tone. She knows sometimes what I'm thinking before I think it. I've quit trying to surprise her on Valentine's Day. What I should do is quit asking her because I just wanted to be all romantic I guess and I said oh I did something good today for Valentine's Day I said I bet you can't guess it that's where I made my mistake you don't ever submit to somebody who's prophetic and maybe possibly got a better relation and connection to the Lord than you do to guess because the Lord will tell her and he did I was disappointed right then I was so bummed out, she guessed exactly what we were doing. I said, you got to be kidding me. I was tempted to take it all back and forget it. <laughs> so I learned, I just quit asking her. I just quit asking her. She's gotten better at acting surprised. Turns out I'm not as complicated as I thought I was or as mysterious as I think I am. But how does she know that? Yes, some of that is because God tells her from time to time, right? But the, more, uh, the, the reality is she knows me. She listens to me. The reason she was able to guess, I, we rented a movie. It was a, I don't even remember what it was. It was a Toy Story. We were being reminiscent of back when we first got married. That movie came out, and they had it for rent, and she knew that's what I was going to get. I said, how'd you know that? She said, we were talking about it the other night. I said, we were? No, I didn't even remember us talking about it. Why? She loves me. 
she does listen to me. Sometimes she gets tired of listening to me, but she does listen to me. She cares about me. You know, that's the same as the father we have in heaven. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And even if your motivation isn't correct right now, he'll still work with you. He'll still bless you. He'll still take care of us. But it's our responsibility to draw closer to him. It's our responsibility to check our motivation. It's our responsibility to change our motivation. You see, we get off track from giving tithes and offerings because we start looking at the bottom line and we lose a little bit of our faith and trust. We can't see how that's going to be taken care of. But yet I bet everybody in here has a financial testimony they could tell me of where God provided in a time where it looked bleak, of a time when it didn't look like you were going to be able to pay that bill or you weren't going to have food on the table. Why do we think he's only going to provide that one time? See, what we got to get better at doing is listening to the Father so that I don't take everybody out to eat just because it's easier and more convenient and what I'd like to do and I don't want Tammy to have to cook. Person, I love her cooking, but she gets tired of cooking. But what I didn't do was say, Lord, is that okay? Can I use this money for that? that that's the step we got to go back to, right? What's my motivation? My motivation is to love on other people, but it is also convenient for me because I could just as easily learn how to cook a little bit. You can strike that from the tape if you would. But I could learn how to cook, couldn't I? And I could get in the kitchen and I could cook. I could grill. I could do something, but I don't want to. What's my motivation? Do you understand where I'm going with this? It's about putting God first, not second. It's about saying, Lord, where do you want me to stay? You want me to buy a house? What else do you want me to buy, Lord? Not, Lord, I'm putting a bid in on this house. Would you bless it? That's the opposite. It's start out with the Lord. Have that relationship with him. As I was saying, we're about to enter into a time of fasting. If we don't know what our motivation is, I will make you a promise. You will not make it through this fast. Not because I don't want you to, but because it's going to be 21 days. And if our motivation is not in the right place, you see, I made it most of those 10 days. I did have a, a, a hiccup a couple of days. And I cried about it and got repentant about it. And the Lord really did minister to me on that because he helped me to understand I'd started trying to do stuff out of religion, meaning that I was just trying to get through the fast rather than understand the purpose of that fast. And so as I began to understand the motivation and the purpose of the fast, not only did I quit beating myself up for that one or two times I messed up, but I quit thinking about it. And I started pouring into what we were doing and praying for. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to skip around on you just a little bit here, Jeremy. I'm going to try to bring this to a close. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Part of fasting is a renewing of the mind. That's part of what we're going to be doing is renewing our mind. As we enter into this new year, we're going to be renewing our mind. I don't know about you, but we can have good intentions. 
But if we spend more time with people than we do with God, we're soon going to find ourselves frustrated with people. I know this because that's what I go through. I go through it quite a lot, especially since taking over as a pastor. And, and nobody's coming to me complaining, and, and, but, but we go through stuff. And I want to be there for you guys. I feel like that's part of my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. But then I read about Jesus withdrawing to the wilderness on multiple occasions. I read about Jesus telling the disciples, hey, get away for a little bit. See, if I'm not intentional and purposeful about things like a fast, then I'm going to wear myself out. And I'm going to be no good to anybody. What's my motivation? So even in drawing away from people, that's why I'm telling you guys, I won't be available next week. That's not easy for somebody like myself. Maybe for you, you're like, oh, I could do that in a heartbeat. I can't. I like being around people. I enjoy talking to people. I like people. I really do. So for me to pull away for a week is actually a little difficult. But my motivation in pulling away is so that I am worth something to you into this body in the days and weeks and months to come. So that I can do what the Lord's called me to do. My motivation is to please the Father. And so he's saying, you got to get away, Herman, for a little bit. So i got to do that. i got to get away for a little bit. What's God laying on your heart? What do you need to do? See, we can, we can be motivated and think we're doing something good because it involves witnessing to somebody or doing something to show God's kingdom to somebody. But if we've not been in prayer with the Father, we don't know for sure. You see, God's working in people's lives. I'll never forget the first time that God told me not to give something to somebody. Somebody was asking for some money. I'm used to always giving a little something. And the Lord said, don't do it. I said, what? Don't do it, Lord. He said, I'm doing something in their life. And what's happening is they're becoming dependent on uh, people and the churches and, and other things. And what I need them to do is to be dependent upon me. So how do I know that God was telling me not to do that? Because later on, the testimony came forth from that individual to prove that what I'd been hearing from the Lord was accurate. Sometimes we don't know right up front. But my motivation was to please the Father. My motivation was to do what God had told me to do, no matter how, how uncomfortable it made me in my flesh. Let me bring this to a close here. I want to read you a quote from Jensen Franklin. He said, The discipline of fasting will humble you, remind you of your dependency on God, and bring you back to your first love. It causes the roots of your relationship with Jesus to go deeper. I want to lay out the fast to you, what we're going to do as I bring this to a close today, and then I want to challenge you with a statement, okay? We're going to fast from January the 7th to the, through the 27th. The 7th is a Sunday. It's next Sunday. We'll be doing a sunup to sundown, close to sunup sundown, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. each day. That means you don't eat food, you drink water only. Now, after 6 p.m., you can have some food. But I will caution you, don't go crazy with it. You'll make yourself sick. What I would recommend, and this is what I plan to do, is to do the full fast from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then a Daniel-type fast in the evenings. And just, you can get into all the different things for Daniel, but the basic idea is no meats, no sweets, and no breads. That, that's the basic idea, just very simple, okay? So vegetable soup, different things like that, vegetables, all that kind of stuff. That would be my recommendation. We're also going to come together for prayer every night of the fast at 7 p.m. Now, some nights we're going to be here at the church. Other nights I'm going to meet through Zoom, Okay. I will be sending out reminders so you don't have to keep up with all of that. But Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday nights, we will be here at the church. 
We're already here most time on Wednesday nights and Friday nights. Jeff and Gary have been leading a prayer uh, set every Tuesday night for the last, well, they've been together on Tuesday nights for the last year, and Gary was leading one, I think, on Mondays, and Jeff was doing one on Tuesdays. We've been doing this for the last three years. How many of you knew that? Amen. Some of you did. Good. Praise God. Listen, I want to challenge you. Get to that prayer session. It don't have to be every week, but get to it. It's important for our church. We lay seed. We lay preparation for the, the, the community and for what's going on in this church. We're going to move that to Thursday nights starting not this week but the following week. Okay, so once the fast starts, that'll be on Thursday nights. and It'll be Thursday nights for the rest of the year. Um, that one will start at 6 p.m., but again, we'll be here at 7 p.m. The other nights that I didn't talk about, Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, we're going to do Zoom prayer meetings. So you can meet with us at your home, wherever you're at. And a couple of those nights, we're going to stream through Facebook. Uh, if you're already plugged in with us through Facebook, it should pop up and let you know uh, what nights we're going to do that. I can't be exact on that just yet. That's part of what I'm getting away for is to get some clarity on a few of the items that, that God's laid on my heart for the fast. Uh, and so I will be bringing more information, but I want you to know that next Sunday we will start the fast from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and I will finish giving you the rest of the details as the Lord lays them on my heart. It's going to end uh, at 6 p.m. on the 27th, and then that 28th, which is a Sunday, we're going to start Passionate Pursuit meetings. I'm also praying about the length of those. I don't have confirmation just yet. We've done those the last, uh, we did that last year as well. I'm going to be bringing in uh, Pastor Matt Smith, who also led the Passionate Pursuit meetings or, or preached at them. Uh, and those will start um, that Sunday night at 6. And we'll at least do three nights, I know. And I'm, I'm praying about if the Lord will allow us to do a whole week of that. For us, that's our becoming passionate pursuers of God. That's why they're called Passionate Pursuit meetings. For our community, that's the same idea as revival. That's our revival week. That's our revival time. We want to be in, inviting people in. We want to see God move, and we want to see him do some amazing things in our community. That's what that, that week is all about. And so I just encourage you to, if you can, set aside time. Put it in your calendar. Be here. Be a part of it. Amen? What I want you to be praying about is both personal but also corporate. First and foremost, I want you to draw closer to God, to know his will for your life and for our church to overcome any obstacles whether they're physical financial emotional or spiritual that's what this fast is about that's what you should be praying about you got an obstacle in your life submit it to the lord during this fast i'd like you to be playing, praying about our church building god has already confirmed that this will not be our home forever in fact we're, we're we believe we'll be out of here within uh, about a year or year and a half we just don't know where we're going just yet so be praying about the church building the future per, uh, church building Definitely want to keep the church finances prayed for. Not just that they'll come in, but that the, the leadership and the elder specific will continue to hear the Lord, and we will continue to use those the way the Lord wants us to use those finances. Uh, the church leadership, please be praying for the church leadership. And then I want you to be praying for the surrounding churches and pastors. Sometimes we forget that. But we're not the only one in this fight. We're not the only one in this mission. It's his kingdom. I'm talking about God. It's his kingdom. And Southside Christian Fellowship is doing its part but there are other churches that are out there trying to do their part, and we need to be there for them in prayer. Amen? But again, revival in our community. That's what we're fasting about. We're fasting for God and his kingdom. How about staying to your feet? I want to read you this last statement here. I know that this is New Year's Eve. Typically, traditionally, you hear a resolution story or sermon 
about making resolutions, and I'm sure many of you will be setting new resolutions, and I pray that, that, that you'll be able to achieve every one of them, but I want to encourage you to set them based on what God's telling you, not what you want to do. Let them be God's resolutions for your life. As we enter a new year, the best resolution we can make is to become better kingdom stewards. We do this by overseeing the assets. That's the time, the talents, the treasures that God has entrusted to us to manage on his behalf. We do this by allowing the Holy Spirit to become our spiritual eyes and show us his worldview. We do this by not focusing on what we get from God, but rather what God through us can give to others. Let me say that one again. We do this by not focusing on what we get from God, our motivation, but rather what God through us can give to others. We do this by allowing God to change our motivation from the blessings to the blesser, from the rewards to the relationship, from the benefits to the being. We become better kingdom stewards by becoming passionate pursuers of God. And if you've been going with us and you've been following us and you've been tracking, that is our vision here at Southside Christian Fellowship is to become passionate pursuers of God. We do that by becoming better kingdom stewards. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that he would cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.